0: Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to Ephesians. I didn't get to say Ecclesiastes, and I'm a bit sad about that. You do realize, though, we only scratched the surface of what was there. But I, I pray that... Um, the Lord did something in your life like he did in mine through the sermons, through the study of Ecclesiastes itself. There is great wisdom that is there for the people of God to learn how to follow God well in a world that is under the curse of original sin. And the wisdom that we saw there is a wisdom that is tied to the reality that God is not constrained by that curse, God is transcendent over that curse, that the mystery of God's presence and his power and his providence is still at work within the world and is still at work within the people of God. And yet, the curse is also still at work. And so the wisdom that we looked at in Ecclesiastes is a wisdom that that is a wisdom based on the reality of death, the reality of ongoing sin, uh, and the the fact that these things are not ultimate, but they are real. As As we come to Ephesians, we now address the same question, which the Bible addresses in every book of the Bible. How do the people of God follow him well in a cursed world? And what we do as we come to Ephesians is we recognize that we have now moved forward in redemptive history. And where Solomon was only writing from what he knew at the time in which he lived, we now know more than Solomon knew. And the hope that Solomon pointed to without expressing fully in Ecclesiastes is a hope that is now embodied in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ as that is unfolded for us here in the book of Ephesians. A letter that Paul is writing to the people of God in order to help them follow Christ well. Where Solomon could say... Honestly and accurately, there is nothing new under the sun. Paul says, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now there is. And the wisdom, beloved, that we get to live by as the people of God is not only a wisdom that comes from the recognition of the realities um, that are true because of the cursed world, but we now know in greater, fuller measure The wisdom that comes from above, that comes from beyond the sun, that came in the life of Christ, and that comes to us as the Holy Spirit has united us to Christ and takes that word and works it within us. So we're still looking at the wisdom that we need as the people of God to live well in a world where there is still the the effects of the curse, but where you and I live in the new life of the new creation of the risen Christ. And so this is going to be wisdom that comes from above. But it is a wisdom that is still tied to the anticipations that we saw in the words of Solomon's that that have been fulfilled in Christ Ephesians chapter one, we're gonna uh, read verses one and two. If you're visiting with us this morning, and we're not here, when I originally came here, um, I would encourage you to listen to sermons that were preached last, Fe- uh, last January and February. Uh, when I, uh, b- between the time of getting called and actually arriving full-time, uh, I had to come for Presbytery, and when I was here, I filled the pulpit, and I preached a sermon on John 17, uh, titled the Share, Our Shared Life, Love, and Mission uh, with, Father, with, the, with our Triune God, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that, because I preached that at that time as a foundational sermon for how this church should understand what I see as the the main uh, and central and foundational thrusts of who God is and what he is doing and how how we connect to that. Uh, And then my original purpose when I got here was to preach through Ephesians. Um, I got to have five Sundays before COVID shut everything down. The first Sunday that we were shut down was supposed to be my installation service. Um, and so things got really kind of thrown off. And because of, the, of what developed as I was watching um, our country and the church respond to COVID, we ended up in 1 Peter because that was a more fitting um, book of the Bible, I thought, for our needs at that time. So I'm really excited to get back to Ephesians. I, this is one of those books that I think if you can embrace... Uh, what, what Paul reveals to us here, um, that this will uh, literally change your life. It will change the way you interact with everything. It'll change the way you interact with yourself. It'll change the way you interact with your neighbor. It'll inter- change the way you interact with God. It'll change the way you interact with your vocation. It'll change the way you interact with everything. Because that's what he is trying to do. He is writing to a church that is living in an extremely difficult situation in order to help them grow and mature beyond the initial growth that they experienced when they first came to know Jesus Christ. He's writing to an immature uh, congregation that has experienced great things already. And is trying to help them grow so that they can live well um, as disciples of Christ in a very difficult circumstance. So I would also encourage you to look at those sermons um, that we I did. Uh, the one from John 17, and then I did uh, sermons from Acts 18, or, I'm sorry, Acts 19 and 20, uh, as well as Revelation 2, 1 through 7. All passages that unfold for us what the, uh, what Ephesus was like, what the church in Ephesus was like. I go back and and listen to those, um, as uh, I think they provide a really helpful foundation for moving further into this letter. The title of the whole sermon series is "Our Shared Life and Mission in the Peace Making Christ." That's what we're going to hit over and over and over. Again, this morning we are going to look at Ephesus Revisited. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come uh, right here, right now, At this time, in this place, as we come before your word, we pray and we ask from the very beginning that you would grip our hearts and our minds and that you would do away with the distractions that we have brought into this place and that you would speak to us so clearly, Lord, that we would be renewed in our identities in Christ and our callings as we seek to to know Christ and to make him known. And so, Father, bless us through your word as you not only give us truth, but as you give us yourself. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm sad. And I have been struggling. July 4th, our wonderful celebration, by the way, my brother texted me. My brother, who had been serving in Afghanistan, uh, who had just gotten back, texted me and kind of let me in on what was going on behind the scenes. Things that were not being reported to us over here, things that we did not know of, things of lots of military engagements that had been taking place for months, where he had had to participate in those, which we did not know of until after the fact. Um, And he let me know of some decisions that had not only been made, but that had been executed by the leadership that I knew was going to lead to what we have been watching unfolding. And I have been sad, I have been angry, I have felt heartbroken at times. Not only because of what is happening, but knowing ahead of time that it was coming. Hearing from him how he felt about it. as, As he texted me the question, it makes you wonder what any of this was worth. As someone who had given himself, put himself in harm's way, multiple times only to see all of his efforts appear to be abandoned. And part of my emotional response has been tied to things that there are other people more qualified to be concerned with. And what I struggled to do in my response for many days was what I uniquely bring to the table. And what I uniquely bring to the table is what you uniquely bring to the table. And that is the hope of Jesus Christ. It is the reality that the Christ we have is a peace-making Christ. Don't let those words wash over you theologically. We have a peace-making Christ who has made peace by being harmed on our behalf. Now, I am not saying that this is how our foreign relations should be structured. The government has the duty to exercise the sword. But it is not the church's duty to exercise the sword. It is the church's privilege to bear witness to a peace making Christ who brought peace by being harmed who did not consider himself to be more important than sinners and he came as a servant and he served humbling himself even to the point of death even death on a cross and beloved the reality of what Jesus did by willingly allowing himself to be harmed, by willingly allowing himself to be captured by wicked men, that he could have dismissed by snapping his fingers. But where he willingly allowed himself to be captured, to be tried unjustly, to be harmed, and even to die, this was for the joy set before him through which he could make peace between God and sinners. And beloved, that's what you and I bring to the table right now. As there is once again for us right now a heightened need for hope. But a hope that is not dependent on fallen people. A hope that is not dependent upon government. A hope that is not dependent upon science or medicine. A hope that is not dependent on anything that comes from this world. But a hope that comes from the world to come. A hope that has come already in Jesus Christ. A hope that is yours if you are united to him by faith. A hope to continue the ministry of the peace-making Christ. Where the Christ, where the peace that He has made for us is a peace that we embody and that we share with others. There is conflict all around us. Sickness, storms, Wars, and what did Jesus tell us? You're going to hear about these things until I return. Hope is not found by us figuring out how to do away with those things. Because those things are manifestations of the The hope of Jesus Christ is that there is something that transcends the curse that he has won for us by enduring the curse and overcoming the curse in his resurrection. And what he offers to us as his people is what he offers to the world through us as his people. And that is in the midst of conflict in the mix, midst of curse, in the midst of chaos, there is a Christ. And he is a peacemaking Christ. As I have thought about what is unfolding as the Taliban re, uh, re take charge of that country, and as I have been angered and frustrated because of what that means for women and children, what that means for our allies, and what that means for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been doing amazing ministry over in Afghanistan over the course of the last 20 years. I got frustrated thinking that the Taliban taking things back over somehow was going to frustrate those efforts. That the Taliban taking back over was somehow going to bring those efforts to an end. That the Taliban taking back over was somehow going to affect negatively the mission of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan. And then I looked at the words of the opening of Ephesians and I was struck by two very powerful pictures. And that first picture that we see here is a picture that is found in the one who is writing, the Apostle Paul. Paul was not his given name. It was not his first name. Y'all know this. His first name was Saul. But he is now going by Paul, and by Paul, he is going by the new name that he received from Christ when Christ called him out of sin and death and into life with Christ by nature of being united to him by faith. Now, don't listen to these words from a Sunday school perspective. Paul was the Taliban of his day for the followers of Jesus Christ. The Paul, as he was going by Saul, was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was was very high up in the the religious establishment. He had a lot of authority as as a self-righteous Pharisee. And he thought he was serving God by persecuting those who were following Jesus Christ. He thought that the followers of Christ were perverting true religion. Does that sound familiar? He thought they were perverting true religion. He thought he was honoring God by purifying the world from the anathema of these people who were spreading lies about the true God. Does this sound familiar? And the way that he carried this out, according to his own words in Acts 22, is that he persecuted the way, meaning the Christians, the disciples of Jesus. He persecuted them to death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear, uh, bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He went synagogue to synagogue, beating the disciples of Christ, holding the cloaks even of those who would put Stephen to death. Make no mistake, if you were a believer living at that time and you heard the word Saul, you would respond the way we do when we hear the word Taliban. But what happened to Paul? Well, he didn't stay Saul, did he? And Christ, invaded his life and he said why are you persecuting me here's some fun what I'm gonna do with you now is I'm gonna call you to myself and I'm gonna send you out as my chief representative the one whom you were persecuting will now be the one to whom you design the rest of your life to serve and to exalt and to suffer for and yet to bear fruit that will last for millennia. You see, what happened is with Saul becoming Paul is the persecutor of the church, the one who struck fear in in the lives of believers became the one to provide them words of hope, words of peace, words of grace. Beloved, With God doing that in the life of Paul, there is nothing that stands in God's way in Afghanistan with the Taliban. What I would encourage you to do is do what I didn't do at first. And that's to exercise the uniqueness of what you bring to this discussion in giving yourself in prayer to God and asking him to do far more abundantly than we could ever dream of in Afghanistan. The second picture is in the ones to whom Paul is writing. That same grace, that same power, that same mysterious presence of God that that changed Paul also changed the, the people in Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a horrible place. And we teased out a lot of that in those sermons that we looked at uh, from Acts. But, but, the, but Ephesus was, it was a horrible place. It was a port city, which meant that it was wealthy. It was a place of prestige. It was a place of political power. Uh, it was a place of religious diversity. It was a place of of wealth and great immorality and what you find is in a place that where where commerce was controlled by Devotion to Artemis or to Diana, depending on if you're Greek or Roman, where the commerce and where the culture was determined by and it was dedicated to the worship of Artemis. You had a a city that was turned upside down by nothing less than Paul and others simply promoting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesus' religion, culture, and commerce were built upon an idol. And when the people heard Christ preach and turned to him, they burned their idol. There was such a powerful response to the preaching of the gospel in Ephesus that so many idols were destroyed and so many people were turning away from the worship of Artemis that the silversmiths who made their money by making those different physical representations of Artemis, they were starting to go out of business. That's how many people that when they accepted Christ, they were repenting of their sin. They were repenting and we were were told that, that they were involved in the dark magical arts of the day, which is basically demonology. And all of their literature that they had, that that they used in order to help them practice that demonology, they burned them. And there was so much that was burned. We are told that it was 50,000 silver pieces worth of demonic literature that was destroyed because the people were abandoning that darkness and they were embracing the light of Jesus Christ. There was courageous Scripture-saturated, passionate and bold and yet humble, Christ-centered, Spirit-filled ministry in Ephesus. And people were not just coming to faith and then going about their lives just adding Jesus to what they were already doing. Their lives were being turned upside down because they went from death to life. And the result of their Response to God of not only faith but love led them to repent of their sins. It led them to leave their sins behind. It led them to, to live a spirituality of repentance. And faith, not trying to just add Jesus or tack Jesus on to their preferences, but they were willing to let the word of God wash over them and restructure their preferences. And they were willing to take the chance to live according to what God had told them. They did not live in America. They did not live in the American South. They lived in a place that got so worked up by their repentance that we are told a riot broke out. And 20,000 strong entered a Colosseum chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for hours. Where they became bloodthirsty and their desire was to put the Christians to death and what was Paul's response well since they're all together this is a good time to preach to them now they didn't, they didn't the, the underlings didn't let Paul do that but that was Paul's perspective Yeah, I might be facing my death. And yes, I'm facing 20,000 people who hate my guts right now. But look what the Lord did in my life when I hated him in that same way. Look what the Lord did in my life. Look what the Lord did in the lives of the Ephesians. The Lord can do this in any sinner. And so this is what we find Paul the one who hated Jesus, but now serves as a representative of Jesus, a people who were, who were just lost in the depths of the darkness of religious cults and, and the Artemis uh, idolatry, they are called, what they were doing, they were called out of that. And they repented of those things, and they embraced the will of God in Jesus Christ, even to the threat of their own existence. This is a place where powerful ministry took place because of a simple trust in God's word. Powerful, turning things upside down, not through the expression of having superior arguments or or being more put together religiously, but simply by entrusting themselves to say what God had said and to be the embodiment of hope in a society that desperately needed it. The society was so lost that even today, if you go to to the ruins of Ephesus, you can see where engraved in the stone walkways are instructions for how you get to the houses of ill repute if you know what I mean. It was just engraved in the stone. Because in that day, the way that someone was to get favor from the gods, the way that someone earned merit with the gods so that you would get the blessings of the God, where you would earn it from them through devotion, the way that you got that was there were two ways. And one was through an ecstatic experience. And that took place back in that day uh, in what we see described in other places like in 1 Corinthians where where it talks about the temple adultery. Where you would discover the will of the God through the taking of hallucinogenic drugs and having immoral experiences at the temple with the temple prostitutes. The other way was through superior knowledge. Ephesus had one of the best libraries of the day. Because if you were going to earn merit from the gods, if you were going to get their favor, it was going to come through knowing more, having more knowledge than the average individual. And through your knowledge, you could come to to merit the blessings of the gods. But what's interesting is underneath the library were tunnels that led to the different houses of ill repute because they weren't distinct from one another, they were connected. Can you imagine trying to follow Christ in a setting like that where immorality is just on open display, where power and wealth are constantly being jockeyed for through the control of money and through the control of knowledge, through the control of the narrative of what life is really about, as people were controlled by by the government, being told that the way for them to enjoy their religion was that they had to first go through Caesar, that they first had to offer sacrifice to him, and through him would be able to offer sacrifice to their gods. Can you imagine? Nothing to go through the government in order to exercise your religion? You see, the reality is, beloved, we are living in Ephesus. We live in a powerful country that is built upon commerce, It is built upon control, that is built up upon control through morality and through finances and through what the government tells you you can and you cannot do. And I'm not saying this to say what we need to do is rise up against these these things. What we need to do is be realistic that this is, in fact, the setting in which we live so that we will listen to the wisdom that Paul gives to us. Because that is what he is doing in this letter, is telling people who live in that kind of setting how they can follow Christ well and the wisdom that they need in understanding who God is, who they are in Christ, and the calling that they have as his people in this world, in this setting with these challenges in order to be a manifestation of the peacemaking Christ. Because, beloved, there are lots of people that can deal with monetary policy and there are people that can deal with all these different things and i'm not saying that individual christians should not be involved they should but what we have to make sure we remember as the church is that we have a unique role here within this country and that unique role is to bring the message of the gospel of jesus christ to live in the hope of christ so that we can give a reason for that hope to those who ask us, bearing witness to the superiority of the circumstances of the fallen world, because in Christ, as Paul tells us, we have received all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places because in Christ we are no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, but have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Where in Christ we are no longer individuals lost in our sin and death, but that we have been redeemed and we have been brought into this mystical union and communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one another. Where in Christ we have a shared life, a shared love, in a shared mission with father son and holy spirit. And beloved, that is what Paul has for you in these words because that is what you are called to embrace in order for you to experience God through those things, and then live as expressions of God, extending his gospel into every area of life that you come into contact. Beloved, you have a peacemaking Christ. And in him, we are called to be peacemakers. And so let's give our reverent attention to God's word as we work through this letter. Because what these words represent are what a church need in order to grow up into Christ, to be followers of Christ who are on mission with Christ in the midst of a very difficult situation with temptations all around us Where we are constantly going to be tempted to lose hope, to get frustrated, to get irritated, to get angry, to withdraw, or to try to control. And that message begins with a blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are in such need of that blessing over and over and over again so that we will not allow ourselves to become captivated by things that are a distraction to who you are and what you have accomplished in Christ and to the unique privilege and role that we have as your people to bear witness to your accomplishments rather than just participating and tearing things down. Lord, maybe I'm the only one that struggles with that. And so maybe it should just be a prayer that you help me not do that. But Lord, if it is something we struggle with as a congregation, may the words of Paul draw us away from those temptations and encourage us with the new identities that we have. Our names may not have been changed upon our conversion, but we do know that our names because of our conversion are written on the hands of our Savior where he always sees them where they can never be forgotten. And so bless us we pray with the blessing of Christ the blessing of the peacemaking Christ who constantly extends to us grace and peace so that we might not only receive it for ourselves that we might live as blessings to this world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.